0: You are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit, Win, Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozikov, global marketing lead at win by night and product manager and university-level faculty by day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special episode of the Win Win podcast, where as we celebrate Black History Month, I got the chance to interview my co-conspirator, the amazing Haley Floyd, who is global communications lead at Win by Night and a product designer at an AI startup by day. Haley is also currently transitioning into some very exciting venture capital work. So lots to come on that end. Some other Black History Month content that you can expect from us are different features of Black women innovators across our social media and other resources that we will be providing throughout the month and in our free members portal, The Hub, which you can sign up for on our site. It is our duty to listen, amplify, and highlight Black voices and actively remain anti-racist. WIN is working on this as an organization, and I'm working on it as an individual in all of my professional and personal capacities. I felt so lucky to be able to hear about all the various innovation-specific challenges that Haley talks about on today's episode, and what was additionally special is that her background included being an advanced associate on Michelle Obama's team, who is one of the most impressive innovators of our time. We talk all things about Haley's upbringing, her college days, and what it was like being a part of the first black administration in the United States, as well as her trajectory at Apple, and now at Wynn, and in the startup ecosystem and venture space. While I have some other amazing black women lined up for this season of the Win Win podcast, I'm always looking for more diverse voices to share. So as usual, please feel free to email me at Zoya at and I would love to hear from you on how we can all ensure that innovation and innovation history is told from multiple perspectives. With that, I hope you enjoy today's episode and hearing from the wonder woman that Haley Floyd is. Hello and welcome to our global communications lead, Haley Floyd and founding designer of Oasis, an artificial intelligence startup. Hi, how are you? I'm good, it's such a pleasure to have you. Uh, For those that don't know, Haley and I work very closely together at Win Win, so this is an extra special partnership. Um, Haley, you have one of the most fascinating trajectories that (laughs) to me feels like it's all about combining impact and creativity. Whether it's working on the HomePod and today at Apple during your time with the legendary tech company or as an advanced associate for Michelle Obama's team, what do you believe is the catalyst behind the type of innovation that you choose to partake in?
1: The catalyst for me is human impact. That has kind of been my professional North Star, and it's always
0: finding new ways to create that and finding better ways to create that human impact. And as you went from one role to another, were you evaluating different industries or was there a specific industry that you always wanted to be in? No. So that has
1: been kind of my professional strength and weakness is feeling like I can do anything. And early on, it led me to kind of down this rabbit hole of not quite having direction and trying out different things. But it fostered this intellectual fearlessness where I learned to trust myself to say any role that I take on, everything I've done has been new for me. Any role I take on, I may be a little bit behind the curve, but I've learned to trust myself to bridge that knowledge gap and to rise to the occasion.
0: I love that. And I think what you talk about with the fearlessness is actually so something that so many women don't have with imposter syndrome. Was that fearlessness inherent to you or where do you think it came from?
1: So that's... Why no one can see this? But I'm wearing a Howard University sweatshirt. I do attribute that fearlessness to the safe spaces I've been allowed to learn. Um, Growing up, my mother was an educator, so and to be honest, school was never easy for me. It was something I was good at, but it was not without effort. And so I just kind of developed this work ethic early on, where I understood that I could meet a challenge, and it it won't be easy, but if I put in the work, I can you know overcome that obstacle. And so when I went off to college, I wanted to duplicate and replicate that safe space to learn. And Howard University in particular, there is an air about the university when you think about it being founded two years after the Civil War. And when you think about the notable alumni who've come through there, just my existence there and saying, like, I'm walking the same halls as some of the most phenomenal people I've ever come to learn about. And that instilled a confidence in me and having an environment where I'm, you know, constantly challenged, but also supported, it fostered that fearlessness to say, like, I can do this, I've done many things before. And if something is new for me, I just kind of look through black people in in our trajectory in America, like we have, we're always doing something new. And a lot of times, things more insurmountable than what I'm facing. And so my obstacles, my challenges, a lot smaller in the grand scheme of things. And that kind of allows me to just center myself and say, you know, people have taken on far more, people have accomplished far more, I can do this. And it's just a matter of time and how much like that
0: this opportunity will cost me. I think that's such a unique point of view, because I feel like with all the burden that Black people in America have had. I feel like it's so easy to say I give up before you even get a chance because oftentimes you're not even getting that chance. So talk to me about the barriers of entry that you've experienced.
1: Yeah. So for me, and this is, you know, I think about the Pioneer Report really freed me because I didn't realize that I had had sponsors because I didn't have mentors. And that perspective shift allowed me to appreciate the opportunities that have been afforded to me that would have otherwise been barriers. So uh, being a self-taught designer, wearing different hats, I've never been able to define myself and that has inherently been a barrier in any opportunity I've approached because my trajectory is not linear because the question is, okay, so what do you do? And my question is, I do many different things and I do it all well, but without having the opportunity to prove that on top of stigma that would allow pe- some people to believe that I wasn't good enough inherently. I'm not, I haven't always been able to present, you know, the, the full package to say, hey, I check off these boxes and I have the work to, to align with this opportunity versus saying, hey, I can do this. I've done different things and I've learned along the way. That's not a great sell when you're kind of applying for a new job or looking for a new opportunity to say, hey, I haven't done this before. But I can get it done. I can rise to the occasion. I can assimilate into whatever role it is that I'm approaching. And when you have natural stigmas attached to that, I am where I am because of sponsorship, because otherwise, you know, my interview process, my trajectory would have naturally been cut short between my own path and like inherent bias.
0: Yeah, it's so true, because I feel like so many companies these days are like, yeah, we hire for the culture, like we take a chance on somebody. But what happens when the culture is one that's a minority and one that's been historically undermined and historically rejected? Right. that That's so much harder. Um, so as far as sponsorship goes, how would you then define sponsorship versus mentorship or on its own?
1: Yeah, I would define sponsorship as advocacy. A lot of rooms I've been in, it's because someone literally held the door open for me. And I didn't appreciate that for what it was because they weren't readily accessible to me. So I, you know, enter a new opportunity knowing that someone put their reputation out on the line for me, and then they weren't readily accessible to me throughout that opportunity. And I always felt like I was, you know, abandoned when I have come to appreciate someone Uh, respecting me enough to trust me with an opportunity versus giving me their time. And I've also learned that because my path has not been linear, the kind of pairing of mentorship has not always been clearly defined. Because if I'm always kind of putting on different hats and shifting between different industries, they may be questioning what they can really do for me or how long I'm even going to be here. Um, Because I've approached every opportunity as a learning experience. And so I think mentorship is especially valuable when you have a lot more focus um, and when you kind of have begun to sink your teeth into what you're looking to do a little bit more and someone can actually help you build, grow and develop in a specific area. Whereas sponsorship is just access to opportunity
0: that allows you to develop that focus and that insight. Very, very well said. Something else that you talked about is somebody opening the door for you. And one of the doors that you've had open to you is one we can all really dream of. And that's uh, getting the chance to be on the advance team for Michelle Obama, who is our forever icon. Seeing her in such a position of power and leadership, which was so new, as well as Barack Obama, who's the Mm -hmm. first black president. What did that do for you individually? And what do you think that did for other people and women?
1: Yeah, so I always tell the story by saying I just knew I was going to be the little old lady on the news, you know, 98 years old, headed to the polls to vote for the first Black president. I did think that I would see it in my lifetime, but I didn't think I would see it so soon. And I have grown a new optimism just for political progress in our country as a whole. But what it did for me is it solidified the notion that vision in itself is very important and that for Black people in America, your existence alone can be radical. If Obama, he was a president for all people. And I know that has been a point of contention for Black people in particular, but I think his existence was radical because he was not supposed to be here. When you look at the the foundation of the country and you look at the trajectory of you know people of color and you look at systemic racism, he was not supposed to be president. And the fact that he existed in that space for eight years by itself, regardless of any type of you know, platform initiatives and programming to me in itself was radical. And for me, it, it's twofold. It's the fact that he was elected and it was how fast he got there and how fast he ascended to the highest office in the land. And that just going back to this aspect of fearlessness and kind of never denying yourself an opportunity. That's one thing that I have taken from it is the worst thing that can happen is something doesn't work out or someone says no. But nothing stopped him from saying, you know, what? I'm going to run for president. I'm a junior senator. I haven't you know, held an elected office for 20 plus years and built my political career in the traditional sense. But I'm going to do it anyway. And what's the worst that can happen? I can lose. And he was OK with that. And I've taken that to mean, OK, you never deny yourself an opportunity if you want something. You go for it. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You brush yourself off and you move on to the next thing. And so for the both of them, knowing that they applied to the schools that they wanted to go to, knowing that they applied for the jobs that they wanted, knowing that they just went for the opportunity and they took control over what they all they could, which is their own preparation. You know, they were astute students. They were well-rounded individuals. They were they made sure to put their best foot forward. And what I took from that is control what you can and go for what you want. And when there is alignment, there is magic. And in the event that that magic doesn't happen, that alignment doesn't exist, there's always another opportunity.
0: Yeah. And I think so many women, and I'm sure especially women of color, don't apply for jobs because they're too afraid of getting rejected before. And like you said, they even get a chance to get their foot in the door and it, it, it's true. It's a huge takeaway for everyone to not be guided by those guidelines set in place and to be open to just changing the guidelines or in the very least trying, right? So I think that's that's really, really valid. As far as Michelle goes, I mean, of course, she wasn't the president, but she held the position of the first lady, which is really, really important. What was it like working in her advanced team and what did you take away from it?
1: Um, it was really empowering because you know, as we talk about imposter syndrome, I was seen by someone who I felt like had every right to overlook me. And that's again, like, where do I get my confidence from? Where do I get my fearlessness from? That kind of humility with paired with her position is a lesson that I will carry with me for the rest of my life because little gestures, and it's something I think about. I'm not Michelle Obama. But, you know, as I work through like my mentor group and I, I do realize I have some semblance of influence, I understand and I've grown to understand and internalize the importance of humility in having influence and kind of seeing people authentically. Like at times it would just be eye contact. Right. In the middle of, you know, a crowded room, she's moving through, she's surrounded by Secret Service and it's eye contact and the smile. Um, but being part of her team and contributing to her team and honestly seeing Black women in higher positions who were, you know, closer to her inner circle and just being a viewer um, had a lot of impact. And that's where I go back to this idea that, like, vision matters. Being able to see yourself in certain positions matters. And it kind of just affirms that you can do this, you can be who you want to be, you can go where you want to go. But if you don't ever see anybody there, it's still stuck in the realm of imagination. And I think that was the, the biggest win for Black people with their election was just seeing them in that position because we hadn't done it before. And children before Obama and children before you know Michelle Obama were told that you can be anything, right? But we hadn't been everything yet. And as we still approach kind of reaching new heights and, and checking off new firsts, it just solidifies that.
0: Yeah. Something you bring up is this notion of precedence. And uh, Danielle Lay, who was a guest on this podcast a few months back, she talked about how when we think about leadership and being the best at something, the precedence that we have are precedence of male typically white leaders. And and so I think what you're saying really relates to the fact that now we have new leadership standards, because we do have people of color, we have a black woman in office today and then. And I think that changes what we define as leadership, all of us. And Another thing that you brought up is this vision. And um, AOC said when Kamala got elected is, if you want to be it, you have to see it. And that really stuck with me. Again, not in any political way, but how can you imagine this type of leadership when you can't really see it? At this very moment, we do have a very huge first, Mm -hmm. and that's a woman vice president, Kamala Harris. Kamala is also the first Black and Asian vice president. But fun fact, uh, you and I were actually in a marketing meeting with Alex Ma, our social media manager, when we found out that Joe Biden and Kamala were announced as winners. Tell our listeners about that moment and and what it meant for you.
1: Yeah. So, you know, we stopped in our tracks, rightfully so, (laughs) um, because it was officially official. And I think even for me, it didn't quite set in until inauguration. It didn't quite set in until I saw her be sworn in. And so for me, it was emotional because, you know, I cried when Obama was elected. But, you know, Obama is still a man. And I was like, yeah, that's that sounds right. That's the trajectory. You know, you have a white man and then a black man. And I was like, but we still hadn't gotten to women of color. And so with that, I was like, you know, I, I can see that that makes sense to me. I did not. I would not have bet on Kamala Harris winning, not because she's not qualified, not because she's not formidable, but because I question whether we as a country were ready for that. And again, when you look at her trajectory, she is fearless. She did not wait for her turn. She did not allow anyone to sit her down and say, yeah, you know, you can do it. But I don't I don't know if this is the right time. She said, I'm speaking. She said, <laughs> I'm speaking. And literally, she's like, if anyone is like, well, you know, let's just look at history, how things are supposed to go. She 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 nipped that in the butt. She said, no, 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 no. I'm ready now. Even with being VP, she did run for president. And knowing that she was not the first to run, but she was the first to get as far as she did. Again, it goes back to who planted those seeds for Kamala Harris, you know. Who opened that door? You know, like we have to give honor and deference to Shirley Chisholm. Like these, and and that's the thing that has always stirred me is you have to try anyway, especially when you're doing something for the first time, because you may not get it done, but your effort, your desire, your your dream to do it, and you putting yourself out there could inspire the next person who goes a little bit farther than you. And that has always been something that I take away from it, is that when you look at our progress as a people, Black people in America, so much of that groundwork was laid by people who knew that they would never see the fruits of their labor, but they did it anyway. And they did it in the hopes that one day I would be sitting here, you know, in 2021 watching Kamala Harris be sworn in and understanding that this was a collective effort of people whose names and faces I will never know, I will never see. I can never thank personally. Um, has always been a huge source of inspiration for me to where when imposter syndrome starts to sink in, I have to say, well, you know what? I can't honor the people who came before me if I play small. I can't honor the people who sacrificed for me if I don't just go for it, if I don't just try.
0: Yeah. And she said she may be the first, but she won't be the last, which I think is something that we all hold so dearly to our heart. Who is another Black woman innovator that all of our listeners should know or that has personally inspired you?
1: Yeah, I think of Katherine Johnson. She, for the work she did for NASA, but knowing that she was, you know, a Black engineer in a space where intellectually we were believed to be inferior um, has always been a source of inspiration for me just with, again, going back to intellectual fearlessness and saying anything that I don't know, I can learn. When I think about that, her trajectory and her being in not just an all white space, but an all male space, there were times in which she probably wanted to quit. There were times in which it would have been easier for her to just step back and step away. And I do often take from that this idea that knowing how to do something and being good enough is not good enough. You have to have the fortitude to withstand any type of opposition that doesn't allow you to showcase that. And learning is something that came easy for her. She was, you know, a bright student. She was often accelerated throughout her academic journey. A lot of special people in history were ordinary people who just did incredible things. And the realization that you don't have to be special, you don't have to be extraordinary to make history has always been kind of a fire under me to say like, it's okay to be imperfect. It's okay to have shortcomings, but it's not okay to not try.
0: Yeah. Cause you can do it too. Right. Yeah. So switching gears a little bit into your role at when Wynn has come a long way as far as its diversity efforts, but there's still so, so, so much to do. With your role as Wynn's communication lead, what would you like to see the organization do, and how are you hoping to contribute helping us get there?
1: Yeah, so Wynn was incredibly important to me just joining the team, still being fairly new, because I have learned that progress and and getting things done requires relationship building. And I think early on, I had always prioritized where I did my work versus who I did my work with. And that was feeling like I needed that stamp of approval. So I was always like, well, no, I need to work for this company. I need to be part of this organization. And when was twofold for me. It's a formidable organization, but it also um, houses a lot of phenomenal women that I can do incredible work with. And at this stage, I've learned the importance of assimilating into groups of like-minded people who serve, you know, a general purpose. And we're all just lending our unique talents to a greater goal. And so what I'd like to see happen with Lynn is foster a really incredible and culturally sound community of diversity. It's easy to filter people in the door and it's easy to change the demographics but what I found is that there's often a disconnect between the culture once you know these marginalized groups um, get there. And if their erasure has existed, you know there's this assumption that their presence creates a safe space, and that's not always true. And so what I'm I think when is primed creates safe spaces for women to contribute to kind of share their ideas and to build together. And that's because of how they've intentionally, built their leadership, their leadership panel. And I attribute that to being the one single thing that makes one unique. We can have a lot of conversations about innovation and diversity and closing the gender gap and closing the wage gap. But there are nuances within doing that work, especially in large corporate environments that um, are often missed if it's just the same faces. And I think having a community where women can kind of create a reprieve for themselves from doing this arduous work of, you know, creating real change and building the future, which can be exhausting at times. And having spaces to, you know, catalyze ideas, having spaces to recharge, having spaces to partner, network and build together, just takes the burden of, you know, saving the world off of us as individuals, because that's often what, you know, creating that change can feel like. And so I look forward to being able to communicate with a larger audience in a way that, makes it clear that this is a space for women by women and you know, by all women. And just kind of getting that message out there to ensure that the right people are attracted and that people know at the onset that this is you know, a place that was designed with them in mind.
0: We always think about this notion of getting women in the door, but I think the wrong approach is saying, oh, well, let's first get white women in the door and then we'll get black women and other women in the door. And I think you bring up something really interesting when you spoke about Obama, because you said that sequence made sense to you. But I say, let's switch up the sequence. Let's Mm -hmm. screw this. I don't know if I'm allowed to say screw Mm -hmm. on this podcast, but let's screw the sequence and do it all at once together, because that's so much more meaningful. And there shouldn't be this priority or racism that is involved with it. So I think that's very exciting. And I'm excited to keep on doing this work with you alongside you and bringing in more and more women together. So before I close out this podcast, I ask all of our guests one innovation question, and that is, where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now?
1: Yes, I was um, ready for this question, but I decided not to overthink it. One month (laughs) from now, honestly, and we've talked about this, my role within innovation will be changing, but the work that I'm doing now is going to continue. One month from now, um the company that i'm currently with we will be reimagining how people communicate and that's not just in a post covid world where communicating you know distantly and virtually is a thing it's more so understanding that human communication is the essence of human existence but there are better ways that allow people to communicate more effectively and when we think about accessibility and the things that deter or hinder communication Um, utilizing AI to create a more level playing field for everyone to communicate and communicate effectively is something that is very top of mind, especially in countries that infrastructurally are underdeveloped and kind of leveraging technology, not just to build an awesome social product, but is something that also has a practical use in areas of the world that are essentially cut off and isolated is of great importance. One year from now, as I transition into venture, is going to be investing in black founders. And I think the importance of that in particular is I would love to see a trend in which um, there are more kind of special interest funds because I think any time you make a blanket, blanket statement and you just talk about underrepresented founders or underestimated founders, you leave room for erasure. I think the specificity is needed as we move forward and as venture becomes a lot more popular and a lot more oversaturated, I think there's space for people to kind of build micro funds and special interest funds to say, we are going to focus on this area in particular. And I think that is how you can actually start to create measurable change versus trying to, again, save the world, right? And there's no criteria to that. And I'm of the belief that if everything matters, nothing matters. And it's a harsh realization to say that like, yeah, there's a lot that needs to be fixed and a lot that needs to be changed. But again, if you spread yourself too thin, you'll make a menial change versus kind of throwing your weight behind something in particular that is of great importance. And that's what excites me about venture. And I always go back to politics and working on campaigns and people always ask people who are campaign staffers, like, oh, do you ever want to run for office? And it was always a vehement no. Because I'd rather (laughs) place 100 people who want to do that work and have a specific calling and a specific passion for certain areas to put them in places of power and influence. I feel like I can do a lot more than me trying to solve, you know, 100 problems. And so 10 years from now, um, and within the conversation of investing in Black founders, is closing the racial wealth gap. And I think because ownership and equity is the next frontier in terms of what progress looks like for Black people. And I do think in terms of human impact, there is a unique opportunity to um, invest in companies that uh, address systemic issues. Because I think naturally, if you belong to a marginalized community, you will have more of a sensitivity and a passion for that kind of work. Um, and I think it's really cool you know, to think about companies colonizing Mars and flying cars, mm-hmm. but there are still a lot of, you know, basic human needs that haven't been reimagined in, in ways that tech hasn't met those needs that I think there's huge opportunity for. And that's what I'm excited about is exploring the ways in which, you know, the future can kind of correct the, the wrongs of, of the past and, and how we can leverage, you know, technology and all that it can do. And it's, limitless you know potential to kind of synthesize it down to address basic human needs like locally and and abroad and i think founders of color or founders that belong to marginalized groups are the best primed to take on those issues and address you know any type of hardships that they've experienced um in their own lives
0: thank you so much for joining us on the win-win podcast it's been a real pleasure Haley.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here and kind of experience it from the other side.
0: Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by WIN, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozikov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit innovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.